Good morning, Maple Grove. Good morning. Wow, two people are awake. Good morning, Maple Grove. Good morning. All right, all right. Hey, welcome to week 10 in our series of Matthew's Gospel, The King and His Kingdom. And right now, we're currently at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, specifically the Beatitudes, the blessed are you who, dot, 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 dot. And by the way, the word beatitude comes from the Latin word for bless, beatus, right? I, I, I didn't know that answer until this week. I said, where did that beatitude come from? Well, it comes from the Latin word beatus. All right, you learned something today. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is the, the longest sermon of Jesus we have on record. and It's kind of like his manifesto on what life in his kingdom is all about. And listen, there's a huge crowd gathered to hear Jesus as he delivers this teaching on the mountainside. A crowd of people coming from, from different places and representing diverse ethnic, religious, and political backgrounds. I mean, there were religious Jews from Judea with their devout commitment to Torah observation and keeping things kosher. There were Galilean Jews for whom synagogue life, though important, was not the obsession it was for the Judeans, there were not observant Jews who had dropped out of religious life altogether and were dubbed therefore sinners. And there were Greeks from the area of the, the capitalist, the ten cities east of the Jordan, who, were, who loved art, philosophy, and athletics. And of course, there were the Romans, the occupiers from the dominant superpower. And what Jesus has to say in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount about the path to real life, to a blessed life in his kingdom, he addresses all these different people. And listen, if we said, as we have said the, the past few weeks, the, the path to real life, to a blessed life that he proclaims is not the path that they expected or we would expect, and it's certainly not the path that most people are on. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down and began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. A question, did you do any mourning this past week? You know, uh, many of us wore this little string around our wrists to remind ourselves this week that in our loss, mourn. And to, for the lost world, mourn. We live in a world that is broken. And did you spend any time mourning for how broken and how much sorrow and pain and heartache are in the world today? And then for your own sin mourn. This morning we're going to unpack the third beatitude and Jesus' upside down, counterintuitive, radical manifesto about real life, about kingdom life. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And here's how I want to attack our conversation. I want to unpack just two statements. What meekness is and how we develop, how we learn meekness. Father God, we humbly come into your presence. You're God and we're not. You're infinite, we are finite. You're holy, uh, we are fallen. And God, we humbly come before you. And God, I pray that your word today will speak to us. God, I pray that we listen with open hearts, open minds, open ears, open eyes. Holy Spirit, I pray you move in and among us, God, so that what happens in here makes a difference in how we live out there. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You know, 
I think when it comes to meekness, that's not something that many of us desire. Or for that matter, think about all that much. I, I mean, we pray for love, for joy, for peace, for faithfulness, for goodness, for patience, even for self-control. But when's the last time you prayed for meekness? Have you ever prayed for meekness? Question, why is that? I really like what Brian Zan wrote in his book, Beauty Will Save the Earth. I quoted from this book last week. Here's what he writes. Perhaps the most counterintuitive of all the Beatitudes is the third blessing Jesus bestows. Jesus blesses the meek, the quiet, the gentle, the non-assertive, the non-aggressive, saying they will inherit the earth. But I doubt we believe this. We will say something different, something like, Blessed are the meek, for even though he comes in last, he'll be called a nice guy, receive a certificate of participation, and be named Miss Congeniality. That's what we think about the meek. But it's not what Jesus says. Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. Inherit the earth. Really? That is the question, isn't it? Who gets the earth? Who gets to carve up the pie? Who gets the bigger and best piece? When the Roman soldiers stationed in the Tiberius and standing on the edge of the crowd heard this pronouncement, they must have looked at each other with knowing smirks. They knew better. They knew how the real world was run. Rome was ruling the world from Britain to India. Caesar had conquered the world, and it was the Roman Empire that inherited the earth. You can be sure that Rome didn't gain the world by being meek. No, Rome ruled the world because they were smart, bold, aggressive, and willing to make war to secure their superpower status. Yet here is this poor Galilean rabbi announcing that the meek will inherit the earth. Crazy talk. I'm sure the Roman soldiers had a good laugh. That Jesus says it, the meek will inherit the earth. He continues. Jesus was saying that there is an alternative way of viewing the world other than seeing it through the lens of a self-aggrandizing superpower where it's dog-eat-dog, winner-take-all. Instead of grasping and clutching, there is a way of relaxing and trusting. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And and you know what? Meekness to a pathway to real life and blessings, the meek inherit the earth, that's still pretty much crazy talk in our day. Question, what images come into your mind when you you think about a person who's meek? Are the images of a passive, weak, and wimpy person who gets walked on all the time? I read an article this week by a guy named Jay Upton Dixon who wrote a pamphlet called Cower Power. And he, and he said he wants to form a society called Dependent Order of, Dependent Order of Really Meek and Timid Souls. And if you caught what he's really saying here, D-O-O-M-A-T-S, doormats. <laughs> Their logo is a yellow light because they're always yielding to others. Their motto is the meek would hurt the earth if it's okay with everybody else. And unfortunately for Upton, the society did not last long after somebody objected. <laughs> I think it was a joke, but that's how many of us view weakness, uh, meekness. Like, we rarely, if ever, use the word to describe ourselves. I'm not sure I've ever used that word to describe myself. <laughs> It's all right. And, and you know what? <laughs> if someone used that word to describe me, I'm not sure I would see it as a compliment. 
I mean, if you're filling out a resume and they ask you to list some of your strongest character qualities, you don't write meek. And no company ever says, hey, I know what we need. Uh, We need a really meek person to lead our company into the future. We don't see that. Instead, companies want someone who is motivated, ambitious, driven, the type of uh, person who will do anything he can to get the job done. If a politician is running a commercial and he wants you to vote for him, he doesn't say, hey, vote for me because I'm meek, right? No, we don't vote for meek politicians. Uh, We don't want a meek person to be our leader. Instead, we want someone who's dynamic, someone who is powerful. And have you noticed that they don't give out awards at the end of the season for the the meekest athlete award? If you're hiring a lawyer, you don't want a meek attorney. I mean, you don't want some cute, cuddly kitten. You want a roaring lion, right? That's what you want. You want a heavy hitter. Uh, you don't want someone who, you want someone who's going to do whatever it takes to win. So meekness tends to be not something we look for or desire in our lives. In fact, some research was done by George Barner where he took 31 qualities of a Christian found in Scripture, and he said, rank these qualities from number one to number 31. Anyone want to guess what number 31 was? Meekness. Again, why is that? Why isn't meekness something we desire more in our lives? I think it's because we tend to associate meekness with weakness. Like, when we hear meek, we think weak, right? I mean, they even rhyme. So when we hear meek, we think of a person who gets walked on, who gets run over and taken advantage of all the time. No, meek people do not get the best parking places, do they? They're not willing to do whatever it takes. So when we hear meekness, it tends to be a word that we're not attracted to or a word that we don't necessarily want to apply to us. I mean, come on, am I right? Uh, this week, I, I typed the word meek into, the, into thethoris.com, and here's the words that came back. Uh, some of the words. Tell me if you want these words to describe you. Docile, soft, tender, timid, subdued, mild, spineless, lowly, submissive, manageable, passive, unassuming, weak, plain, wishy-washy, yielding, weak need, nothing, right? Like, seriously, who wants? Who wants that, right? But understand, here's the deal. Meek is not weak in the Greek, right? (laughs) Took me all week to figure that one out, right? Meek is not weak in the Greek. And see, what we need to do is understand, you know, we get in trouble when we look at an English word and define it and think we're talking what the Bible means, right? You know, the Bible was written in Greek, not in English. And just because Merriam-Webster maybe defines meek this way, what does the actual word in Greek mean? Now, the word meek is translated from the Greek word praus, and its primary meaning is power or strength that's under control. It was a term used by the Greeks to describe a, 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 a wild stallion that has been tamed. Again, power and strength under control. You see, a wild stallion out of control is dangerous, but a wild stallion under control is useful. Water out of control can be a devastating flood. Water in control can run through a dam, turn a turbine, and create electricity. A disease out of control is death, but a disease under control can produce a vaccine that saves the lives of millions. Okay, so that's the picture that goes with praus. So good definition for meek in our context would be Meek, praos, is power and strength that is under the control of God to benefit others for his glory. 
power and strength that is under the control of God that benefit others for his glory. Understand, we are either, our lives are either under God's control or they're out of control. But we are never really in control. Our lives are either under control, God's control, or they're out of control, but we're never really in control. And I really like what a guy named Nofel Staden writes in his commentary about meekness. He says, meekness was commonly used to describe a wild animal that has been domesticated. A wild horse is aggressive, harsh, and inconsiderate. He kicks when he wants to kick and bucks when he wants to buck. His spirit is out of control. Sound familiar? You know anyone like that? Who kicks when they want to kick? Who bucks when they want to buck? Who's totally out of control? But when a wild horse, he writes, is broken, he does not become useless and weak. He becomes useful and controlled. He surrenders himself to another. He allows a person to control him. He puts himself under the rule and reins of a master. He becomes obedient to both bit and bridle. A gentle horse will allow the spurs to cut deeply into his sides without bucking. He will not fight back when things don't go his way. It is much the same with a meek person. He's not wild and uncontrolled, but mild yet not easily dominated. He's calm, but not a coward. He's congenial, but not a compromiser. He's sweet, but not shy. He's easily gallant, but not a pushover. He's even tempered, but not timid. He's gentle, but not gullible. He keeps his composure, even when he's criticized, coerced, contradicted, confined, or conspired against. He writes, meekness is a mark of wisdom from above, from James chapter 3, and it's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Understand, meek people are not weak people, they are submitted people. They're not weak people, they are submitted people. See, the call to meekness is not a call to be a doormat. It's a call to surrender our power and our strength to God. Paul writes, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-control. And by the way, I put the wrong, it's 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. Do you know, there's only two people in Scripture that are specifically pointed out as being meek. The first is a guy named Moses. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, we read, Now Moses was a very meek man, more than anyone else on the face of the earth. Moses was a very weak man, a weak man who led the greatest slave revolt in human history, a, a weak man who walked into the Egyptian Oval Office and said, let my people go. I mean, Moses was anything but a weak person and said he was a submitted person. His power and strength was under God's control. The other person who's described as being meek is, anybody want to guess? Hey, or in church, right? Jesus, Bible, God, right? Yes. Okay. In fact, he actually refers himself as being meek in Matthew chapter 11 when he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, praos, I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we find this word praus again in Matthew chapter 21 when Jesus is making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Matthew 21 verse 5, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle, you know, praus, meek, and riding on a donkey, 
and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, understand, when, when Pilate came riding in Jerusalem to take up his residence in the Antonio Fortress during the Passover, he rode on a war horse surrounded by soldiers. When Jesus comes to Jerusalem and Passover, he rode on a donkey. And a deliberate act of meekness and as a prophetic rejection of the militaristic means of empire. Of course, when the week was over, Jesus was crucified. But who did God vindicate? Whose empire endures? Whose empire now stretches from sea to sea and to the ends of the earth? Understand, the empire of Rome, which maintained its security by military might, has been swept into the dustpan of history, while Jesus' kingdom has endured to this day. Why? Because the meek will inherit the earth. So meekness is power and strength under the control of God for the benefit of others. Meekness is, is turning the rule and reign of our power and strength over to God. Meekness is being a submitted people. And remember, your life is either under God's control or out of control, but it's never really in control. And listen, I, I, again, I think you would agree that both Jesus and Moses were anything but weak and timid, Doormats and pushovers. Amen? I mean, we're talking about the two greatest deliverers in human history. But understand, their power and their strength was always under control of God for the benefit of others. Okay, so that's what meekness is. But how do we get there? Uh, this week in my studies, uh, I listened to somebody read a sermon uh, that Charles Spurgeon preached on December the 11th, eighteen. 73. And one of the things that Spurgeon said that stuck out to me, he said this, a man's weakness is manifested in his dealings with other people. And he said that you wouldn't look at a hermit who was never around other people and say that he is meek because in order to prove whether or not you're meek, you have to be around people that will test and try your temper. Amen right? By yourself, maybe it's easy to be meek, but around other people, that's where we get tested, right? And unfortunately, God allows six different people to come into your life in order to test your meekness and to help you build up this character quality of kingdom life. And each person, each situation is an opportunity to grow in meekness. It's an opportunity to keep more and more of your power under God's control. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Okay, let's do this. But before we do, would you all stand up? And let's take two. Take two minutes to greet those around you. And I will try not to take it personally that there's much more energy now than there was when you are listening to me. I, I won't take that personally, all right? Okay, okay, so uh, there are six different people that God will bring into your life and mind that will help you and I develop this quality of meekness so that we can have our power and strength under control and uh, bring glory to God and benefit other people. Uh, first, when, when someone serves you, be understanding. Someone say, be understanding. Be understanding, not demanding. Question, how do you treat the people who serve you? Like, how do you treat the waiters at the restaurant, store clerks, bank tellers, 
the person at the ticket counter when your flight's been delayed for four hours, <laughs> fast food cashiers, the workers at DMV, or the people who work under you? Are you rude and demanding? Are you indifferent and personal? Like they're just one cog in the gears of life? I mean, do you go through checkout lines like this, right? And listen, unless you're walking someone through brain surgery or, or heart surgery, it's not that important, right? Do not go through the checkout line on your stinking phone. Even if you're me and you've been walking down the aisles listening to worship music, take your phone off, right? You know, I can't be worshiping God and ignoring the person who's checking me out, right? I may think I'm being spiritual, but I'm being a whatever. I won't even say it. <laughs> Again, when people serve you or work under you, do you even acknowledge their existence? Do you think about what kind of day they're having or what they might be struggling with? One way to develop meekness is to be kind and understanding to people who serve you and people who work under you. You know, one of the things that Christians are notorious for is being rude and demanding in restaurants, right? I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just who these people actually are, right? Uh, and I, I've seen this rudeness and meekness firsthand. I waited tables for four and a half years when I went through Bible college. You know, it was by Disney Mangate and Perkins. <clears throat> and uh, I hated working the night of joy. Night of joy is when Christians go to worship God at Disney and they leave worshiping God at Disney to go to restaurants and be rude and demanding <laughs> and leave you like zero tips, right? You know, um, and, and here's what I say. You know, it's kind of crazy for us to be one minute praising God, lifting our hands, and then go to a restaurant and be rude and demanding to the people who are serving us. Amen? Amen. And, and, and what I say, if you're going to be rude and demanding, stay at home. If you're going to be a lousy tipper, eat at home. Amen? I mean, don't, don't do that. If you go out as a Christian, be a great tipper, right? When I worked at Perkins, no one went to work Sundays because that's the Christians came in. We should change that. We should flip the script, right? Everybody should want to work Sundays because they're the nicest people. I messed up the order and they gave me a 50% tip, right? That's how we should be, right? Okay. Um, those who serve us, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Um, next, when someone sins, be restoring Someone say, be restoring, be restoring. not judging. Okay, you can say that too. <laughs> You're also good. Okay, Galatians 6.1. Brother, someone is caught in a sin. You are spiritual, should restore him gently. Praus, same word. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Now, the word restore means to mend a, mend a net or to set a broken bone. If you ever had a broken bone set, you know how painful it is. And listen, a sin and believer is like a torn net or a broken bone that needs to be restored gently, needs to be restored in meekness. There's a right way and a wrong way to deal with somebody's sin. And understand what Paul's really talking about. You know, we need to understand the background of the book that, that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. Uh, basically, he was confronting the problem of legalism in the church, problem of Phariseeism and rule-keeping. And Paul says, watch yourself or you also might be tempted. And I think the temptation that Paul's referring to is, is the temptation to be judgmental and holier than thou were when confronting someone with sin, who's full of pride. I'm so much better. I'm so much more spiritual than they are. They're a sinner. They've fallen. But look at me. And that was the attitude of many in the church in Galatia. 
So you can see why Paul needed to give this guidance, because instead of trying to restore the fallen brother, the legalist who sees himself in a position of power and strength uses that brother or sister sin to make himself look better and feel better about themselves. In John chapter 8, we see the, both the right and the wrong way to deal with someone caught in sin, right? The Jewish leaders or Pharisees and, and keepers of the law, they drag a woman before them and, and, and throw her before Jesus, confronting her because of her sin. And these men obviously did not want to restore her. They only wanted to condemn her and trap Jesus in a difficult situation. They treated her harshly in pride and arrogance. Jesus treated her gently in love and compassion. He defended her in front of the people. And then after the crowd left, he dealt privately with her sin, telling her to go and sin no more. So he was more interested in restoring her, not simply judging her and pointing out how she had fallen. And a sitting believer needs to know more than just the fact that their sin was wrong. Yeah, they need to know that, but they need to know that after repentance, there is forgiveness and restoration. Amen? Not just that they messed up, but hey, after repentance, there is forgiveness and there is restoration. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Next, when someone disagrees with you, be tender without surrender. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful, those who oppose him, he must gently, praus, he must gently instruct. And hope that God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. It's a fact of life <laughs> that, a lot of, that a lot of people seem to make it their mission in life to always disagree and argue with you. Contradict everything that you say. Have anyone like that in your life right now? How should we respond to these people? Well, there's two wrong ways. One, one wrong way is you can retreat in fear. Just throw up your hand and say, okay, whatever. Have it your way. You know, it's the peace at any price philosophy. But the peace at any price philosophy has many hidden costs, mostly to your relationships. The other wrong way is to react in anger. But listen, it, if you take the offensive and fight back every time someone disagrees with you, as the great theologian Dr. Phil would say, how is that working out for you? Right? Uh, probably not very well. And so retreating in fear and reacting in anger are not the right way, and meekness is somewhere in the middle. Meekness is having an opinion of what you believe is right and holding on to that opinion but allowing room and respect for other people to have an opinion as well. And what I'm saying is, we don't fight, but we don't back down either. Meekness requires being tender without surrendering our convictions that what we are saying or what we are doing or what we are believing is the right thing, is the truth. Proverbs 51 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That verse is so true. I mean, I found that whenever I respond with meekness, praus, my strength and power under God's control, when someone disagrees with me, things work out much better, much smoother most of the time. And listen, even if they don't work out better out there, when I respond with praus, they work out better in here. Amen? 
You know, they work out better inside of me. I, I like this quote from General George Patton. Uh, Never fight a battle when you won't gain anything by winning. You ever fight those kind of battles? <laughs> Where even if you win, you, you actually wind up losing. See, meekness is the ability to disagree agreeably. We don't have to see eye to eye to walk hand in hand, the saying goes. Now, and I've been an active and committed member of the church for 42 years, since I was 20. I've been an active member, I mean that I attended regularly, I served regularly, and I gave regularly, right? And my observation has been that one of the things that we as Jesus followers need to grow in our ability to is to disagree without being disagreeable, right? With, without outbursts of anger. Yeah, there are essentials that we need to agree on, but there's so many minor issues that come up along the way, and usually these are the ones that people tend to get all bent out of shape about. Understand, Maple Grove, we, we need to allow room for disagreements in the body of Christ and still love and respect each other. Amen? And we cannot allow disagreements over non-essential matters to cause division and to get us off mission. Get it? Good. And the ability to do this is one of the marks of meekness. It's our strength under the control of God for the benefit of others. Again, we're either under God's control or out of control, but we're never really in control. And meek people are not weak people. They are submitted people. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Next, when someone corrects you, be teachable, not unreachable. Bible says, whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Proverbs 10, 17. Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever hates correction is stupid. Proverbs 13, 18. Whoever heeds correction is honored. And let's admit it. I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't really like to be corrected. <laughs> I, I find it very humbling. How do you respond when someone corrects you? Are you honest and admit it? Or do you immediately go into the defense attorney mode and justify what happened and explain how what you did really wasn't wrong to begin with? And, and let me say something about meekness. You know, like a lot of other areas of my Christian walk, it's an area that I'm still working on. I'm still learning. And I remember I had a big aha moment in August of 2015 when I was working on a sermon called Don't Be Stupid. I like that word, I know. And it was about, in James chapter 3, he talks about how worldly wisdom causes division and, and, and evil and disorder and how godly wisdom produces peace and love and gentleness and is full of mercy. And at that point, God says, you know what? You've not been very meek in handling correction, you know, and just hit me. And I actually confessed that that Sunday to the whole body, that, hey, you know what, I, I have not, I, I, I had worldly wisdom and not godly wisdom, right? And, and uh, so I'm working and I'm learning. And here's one of the things that, I, that I've learned, and I'm still learning, right? Uh, it's so much easier to receive correction if we are people who want to learn and grow, right? 
You know, if, you want to, if you want to learn and grow in your life, then you know what? Correction, you may not like it, but you're like, hey, you know what? It's an opportunity, right? I can learn something and I can grow from it, right? And so if you're a person who thinks you know everything and no one can tell you anything, you're going to have a hard time with correction. If you're like, hey, you know what? Maybe there is some truth in what they're saying that I can learn and that I can grow from. Get it? Good. So who are you willing to learn from? Can you learn from your spouse? Or does that threaten you? Can you learn from your kids, from your parents, from your coworkers, from other believers, from your boss, from your enemies? Nobody has all the answers. You don't, I don't. So we must keep learning. Meekness involves willing to learn from others and being able to admit when we are wrong. How long has it been since you admitted you're wrong to your spouse or someone else and said, you're right, I was wrong, it was my fault. And you say that and you hold your butt, right? <laughs> you know, all right, you know what I mean? Turn to your neighbor and say, hold your butt. No, you don't do that. But, you know what I'm saying? Like, we, we like to do that, right? We're, we're wrong, but, you know, I was really wrong to do that, but if you weren't such an idiot, I wouldn't have been an idiot, you know, right? You know, when apologizing, hold your butt, right? You know, and it, it, it'll make your apology more real, amen? Come on, you hear me, you hear what I'm saying? Uh, next, when someone hurts you, be an actor, not a reactor. And I don't mean, I don't mean be a hypocrite. I don't mean be a, be a pretender. I mean, be one who initiates action. Don't just respond out of the hurt. Do the right thing. Act the right way. Keep your power and strength under God's control. Uh, Peter, in his first letter, recalled how Jesus acted in his trial before Pilate. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus had his power and strength under the control of God. Understand, he, he could have called the angel in heaven to come and rescue him, right? Matter of fact, he, he said to Peter in the garden in, in Matthew chapter 26, when, when Peter cuts off the servant's ear, and Jesus says, hey, put away your sword. He said, don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels? A legion is 5,000. 5,000 times 12, right? Excuse me, a legion is 6,000. A legion is 6,000. 6,000 times 12. He says, I could call right now 72,000 angels. One angel in the Old Testament wiped out 185,000 enemy soldiers, right? So talk about having your power and strength under control. I, I love that the psychological dynamics between Jesus and Pilate. Pilate is threatened because Jesus is meek. Jesus won't speak up for himself. It, it makes Pilate nervous, uncomfortable. He even says, hey, don't you know that I have the power to crucify you or unleash you? you know what Jesus says? You have no power unless God gave it to you. See, Jesus, rather than reacting to Pilate, assumed control of the situation by choosing to remain meek and silent. He didn't react to Pilate's insults because he knew exactly who he was, the Son of God. And all through the beatings and the mockings, Jesus was meek. He kept his strength under control for the glory of God and for the benefit of others, even when they pounded nails into his wrist. When someone hurts you, be an actor, not a reactor. 
Real strength is found in meekness. In the ability to handle hurt without lashing out in anger and revenge. Jesus called it turning the other cheek. You say that's not easy to do. No, it's almost impossible. To respond that way is not natural, you say. You're right. It's supernatural. That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. You see, we need God's power to live God's way. Amen? So when someone stabs you in the back, hurts you, what do you do? Do you pull out your big guns and react, or do you control your emotions and allow your power and strength to be under God's control? You see, no one can take control from you, but you give it away the moment that you start reacting. And maybe right now someone has hurt you. If so, understand that you will and you are making the choice to either be an actor or a reactor. And listen, if God is not in control of your choices, God is not in control of your life. If God is not in control of your choices, he's not in control of your life. Get it? Good. Paul writes, do not repay evil for evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, don't react, act. To, reality, to, to retaliate is to react. To forgive is to act. It's saying, I'm choosing the way I respond to this hurt, to this evil. This week I read about a guy who was walking to his friend down the street, and every day this one guy would go to a newspaper stand to get a newspaper. A newspaper are these things that are made of paper, and like people used to print news on them, and people would read these things, right? And, and every day he'd pick one up, and his friend's with him, and he's watching how nice his friend is, but how mean and nasty the guy behind the counter is. And he just kind of shoves the paper out and being real rude. And his friend goes, man, are you, are you always that nice to that guy? He goes, yeah. Is he always that mean and rude to you? Yeah. Why do you treat him so nicely? And he said, because I don't want him to decide how I am going to act. Are you allowing people to decide how you're going to act? If so, you're not living in meekness. You're not allowing your strength to be under control. See, every day we get to choose how we're going to act when people hurt us. And meekness is choosing to do the right thing no matter what people have done to us. It's putting your strength under the control of God. And, and yeah, there'll be times when, like Moses, you're going to have to lead a slave revolt. Or walk into the Egyptian office. Or like Jesus, you're going to have to fashion a whip and start cracking it and overturn tables. But hear me, those actions are never to be about us or for us, but always for God's glory and for the benefit of others. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Finally, when someone doesn't share your beliefs, be respectful, not disrespectful, and condescending. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness, praus, and respect. And here's what can happen. Many times when we're in a conversation with someone who does not share our beliefs, we can fall into the trap of doing it with a sense of superiority. We're smart and they're stupid, right? Acting disrespectful and condescending towards them. Have you ever done that? I have done it too much. 
Let me tell you, social media has taken this tendency of ours to when people disagree with us, to be so ungodly, it has put that tendency on steroids, right? I mean, it's crazy how mean and nasty people can be, right? How brave they can be behind a keyboard, right? Um, But the bottom line is when you encounter someone who does not share your beliefs, and not, not just Christian beliefs, right? Be respectful, not disrespectful. Be approachable, not condescending. Be accepting, not condemning. Now, that doesn't mean you have to prove of their lifestyle or accept their beliefs as your truth. Doesn't mean you have to prove of their lifestyle or accept their beliefs as your truth. See, there's a difference between acceptance and approval. I can accept you as a person of worth without approving of everything that you do. And here's the deal. The matter in which you and I share our beliefs with those who differ with us often determines whether or not they actually hear what we're saying, Right? In fact, our attitude usually speaks louder than the words that we say. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Remember, meek is not weak in the Greek. Meekness is power and strength under the control of God to benefit others for his glory. Remember, our lives are either under God's control or out of control, but we're never really in control. Remember that meek people are not weak people, they're submitted people. And that your meekness is manifested in the way that you deal and respond to other people. And brothers and sisters, this week someone may serve you, correct you, hurt you, disagree with you. And you may encounter someone who is caught up in some sin or does not share your beliefs. And when you do, remember... The blessed are the meek, praus, for they will inherit the earth. And just a, a quick thought as we wrap up about this idea of inheriting the earth. See, the way to inherit the earth, Jesus says, is to have our power to be meek, to have our power and strength under control. So what do we actually inherit, and when do we inherit it? I think Jesus gives a, at least part of the clue in that passage I read from Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Weary and burdened because they're working so hard. They're doing so much. Trying to be right so often. Trying to be first so often. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle, praus, and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, and I think it hit me late this week that I, I think that part of inheriting the earth is actually Finding rest for your souls. And listen, finding rest for our souls is putting ourselves and our power under God's control. It's to submit our minds, our will, our emotions, our mouth, our desires, our wants, our lives to God. And when we do that, we'll find freedom and rest. We won't have to worry and fight for control. We we won't have to prove to everybody that we are right. We won't have to make everything work out for us or be fair. But we won't always have to win or always have to be first. Instead, we can lay all of that down and truly find rest for our souls, trusting that we don't have to be in control if God is in control. Amen? And listen, one day, he will bring everything 
under his control as we inherit the new heaven and a new earth. Blessed are those who are not in control, but are in God's control. For they will find rest for their souls, and they will inherit the earth. Father God, we hopefully humbly come before you, God, and God, we recognize who you are, and and God, we recognize, Lord, so many times, Lord, our life is out of control. So many times, Lord, the way we respond to those who serve us, those who correct us, disagree with us, those who, those who hurt us in, in the wrong way, God. And God, many times our power and strength are not under control, they're out of control. And Father God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to develop meekness, Lord, Help us, God, to be a simple people, Lord, who trust you and who do not have to be in control, God, because we know that you are in control. And God, I just pray, Father, that as we, as we sing, your Holy Spirit will move. And God, there's so many things that in this world that we can build our lives on, God, but I pray that we build our lives on your teachings and on your path to a kingdom life, to a blessed life. God, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.